Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back. Coming up on this week's show, why the best soccer leagues are not the most popular. What MLS is back TV ratings tell us about soccer on US TV. How Peacock did on its first major day of Premier League coverage. Are CBS heading sports heading in the right direction? Plus, we have letters from you, the listeners, in our mail mailbag section. I'm Christopher Harris, aka the Gaffer, joined alongside my co-host Kartik Krishnayer. Kartik, it sounds like you're pouring yourself a cup of tea there in the background. Ah, uh, yeah, or actually a glass of water. <laughs> no worries. Well, it's good to have you back on the show. Um, there's a lot to get to. I mean, there's been a lot of soccer going on. I mean, and, and actually, right before this podcast, we started talking about it, and and I said like, hey, let's record this because it's important. It it, it feels like it's a good feeling, but it feels like the, the candle is burning at both ends. When you have early MLS games, you have late MLS games, and then throughout the day, you've got everything from you mean NWSL to the Premier League to the Championship and and other leagues. There's a lot of soccer going on. In some ways, it's it's escapism from what's going on in the real world. But um, I'm getting tired, Kartik. I'm I'm enjoying it. I mean, I'm watching a ton of games. I, sh- I shouldn't really complain. I, I'm enjoying it. It's just uh, it's a lot to take in. Yeah, I, I'm I'm exhausted from it, uh, but for me, the MLS's back tournament has been so good that uh, I don't want to miss any of it. Although I will admit that there are two matches I didn't watch, uh, and both involve uh, Inter, the team called Inter. But every, I've watched every other minute of every other match, and um, and and I think the other aspect of this is the European races have gotten good. Now, if Atalanta, we're going to get to, 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 our, to what we watch, but if there isn't that uh, controversial handball late on in the Atalanta-Juventus match, you have a genuine title race going to the wire in Italy with Atalanta uh, if I, uh, maybe three or four points only behind Juventus. The Premier League, the race for the top four is interesting. The championship is super interesting. Brentford has not dropped a point since before the COVID break. They are now on West Brom's heels for that final automatic uh, spot. La Liga is coming down to the wire. Uh, Barcelona seems to have found some life right at the right time. And uh, yeah, it, it's been really good. NWSL also, right? I mean, although that's been more predictable because, as always, North Carolina 
wins everything. But, right. uh, you know, Portland hasn't been very good. And, and so that's opened up uh, who's the second best team in NWSL conversation, which we haven't had in a while either. So, so let's start with um, favorite games of the week. I, I'll, I'll chime in with mine. Mine was a surprise. I didn't expect it to be this way. Uh, it was uh, Bournemouth against Leicester City. And, and it, it was a, a tale of two halves. The first half, um, it was domination by Leicester. They looked really strong. I think at halftime, it was 1-0 to, uh, to Leicester. Looking like, you mean, Bournemouth, um, not out of, the, out of the escape zone by any means but looking pretty flat. And then the second half was a completely different game. Uh, Bournemouth winning this one 4-1. It could have easily been 5-1, 6-1. Bournemouth missing a couple of really simple chances. But uh, it shows that there's some fight back in uh, Bournemouth. Of course, um, they lost midweek to Man City, but put in a a good performance. And... um, as not I was going to say as always, but it hasn't been as always because of late in, in in the last few seasons the relegation battle hasn't been that exciting. But again, we're recording this on Thursday, so it depends on what uh, Aston Villa does. Uh, but Bournemouth at least are fighting to try to stay up, and um, to me it, it's good entertainment. I enjoy. I, I would like to see Bournemouth stay up. Um, but then Watford, it, it, it's hard. It's hard. I, I never wanted a team to go down unless it's Cardiff City. Um, I never want a team to go down, but um, at least Bournemouth's giving it a good fight. Yeah, um, Bournemouth is now giving it a good fight. They weren't giving it a good fight until the second half of the Spurs match. Um, they had seemed very lifeless. The Ryan Fraser situation, I think, took a lot out of them. Um, that's probably their best player, and uh, his selfishness unwilling to sign a one-month extension. Uh, Eddie Howe decided to freeze him out. And uh, there were four matches between the time when Frazier refused to sign the extension and his contract expired, uh, where Howe elected not to play him. Uh, David Brooks clearly was not fully fit, um, still isn't, even though he scored, obviously, against Manchester City. Uh, So I hope they stay up. You know, I'm I'm rooting for them. I will admit this openly uh, here. I I did not root for Manchester City yesterday. I was rooting for Bournemouth to at least get a point in that match. Um, It's still going to be very difficult, uh, but they're still fighting. And and, and, uh, Solanke has come good at the right time. Uh, Junior Stanislas, who to me is one of the great underrated players of the last decade. I mean, he's hung around. Uh, Burnley and Bournemouth uh, as a regular for for, for a decade now, um, coming through at, at the right times also. So uh, let's see if they can uh, if if they can keep it up um, and if they can catch Watford playing West Ham. If if one of those teams loses, opens the door for Bournemouth. My favorite match of the week, very predictable. Juventus and Atalanta. Uh, it was uh, a, a great. Um, a great uh, match of football. It was a title decider because Juventus, I think, has won the title because they got that late handball and uh, and got a point and took two importantly took two points off of Atalanta. It would have been a six point swing otherwise. Atalanta in second in, in Serie A, um, Juventus top of the table. Uh, it was back and forth, end to end action. Uh, Atalanta fearless uh, and, and uh, just such an exciting side to watch. Also, uh, Steve Banyard and Stuart Robson. Hmm. The commentary team. So that's um, a commentary team that I'd like to hear more of, right? I mean, um, I think, unfortunately, um, neither is doing Premier League matches anymore, although Robson actually did do the Bournemouth uh, with Gary Taphouse, the Bournemouth uh, Spurs match. Yeah, yeah, just to chime in. So Stuart Robson, and actually you missed it on last week's pod, but um, 
the last few weeks he's been doing a few games in the Premier League. So he's coming back and doing some of the kind of uh, not the big matches, but he is coming back and doing some of the the co-commentary. So there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe he'll come back uh, for some of the bigger profile, high, higher profile games, Kartik. So th- there's hope on the horizon. Yeah, and um, and Steve Banyard, we uh, haven't heard much of uh, on the Premier League broadcast for a while now. Banyard, like Robson, their their reputations are more kind of cosmopolitan. Their reputations are more um, more uh, kind of diverse than your classic Premier League announcers. So they called a great match. And look, in that Bournemouth Spurs match, I think I tweeted it within 20 minutes that Robson was giving us better analysis uh, as a co-commentator than you you ever get on Premier League productions from other co-commentators. That's not a shot. That's just my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, because th- he sees the match sort of differently. Uh, so, yeah, that was my favorite match of the week. Um, in terms of the quality of play, I will tell you it was devastating at the end. So maybe I like your pick better because I was happy with that result. Whereas, uh, although I still I want Lester to finish in the top four. So that was the... Uh, um, the uh, the kind of dilemma there, but um, yeah, I, it was heartbreaking how Atalanta uh, lost that ma- or, uh, or drew that match. It is interesting though to car ticket this time of the season is that soccer fans will watch teams. Uh, that they usually don't watch or they'll cheer for teams that they usually don't cheer for. So, for example, for me, focusing on the on the championship, I, I, I'm listening to radio commentaries. I'm watching games of teams that I don't support. So I will uh, I listen to, I think last week was uh, Cardiff against... Uh, I think Birmingham City was it, or, or it, uh, one of the game? Oh no, Black Blackburn, Blackburn against Cardiff. I listened to the radio commentary of that that one on Talk Sport Two for ninety minutes because I wanted Blackburn to win the game and I wanted Cardiff to lose because I mean Swansea are in the the Championship playoff race against Cardiff. And uh, I mean, same for you too. I've been mean, kind of cheering on Bournemouth against your team, Man City, and it, it's interesting because I, I think at this time of the season at least in the promotion relegation and playoff races is that viewers will tend to probably watch in some ways more games, but different types of games than what they would normally watch. Um, so let's talk about Peacock. Peacock launched uh, officially to the general public on Wednesday, July 15th. Uh, it was uh, historic in, in quotation marks in that uh, it was the very first day of NBC's coverage of the Premier League in seven years that every single game was not on television it was on a on a streaming platform in this case it was Peacock and uh, it was free for everyone um, so I'm going to talk about the pros and cons from what I saw Kartik and feel free to chime in too so the pros it was six hours commercial free and the interesting thing about that, too, is that um, <clears throat> it allowed um, us to see some pre-match uh, interviews that we kind of more uh, in-depth interviews that we tend to not see because they usually go to go to commercial break. So that, that was a, a pleasant uh, surprise. Uh, the picture quality seemed to be better than NBC Sports Gold. And um, that's about it. I can't think of any other pros for for what I saw on Peacock. So, so, so I let me point out what I was doing right before this podcast started. I've spent the last twenty minutes installing Peacock on my smart television. Something I did not realize I could do yesterday. I did not realize they had an LG. I have an LG TV, um, an LG app. It popped up this morning when I, I turned CNN on, and there was a don't oh uh, download Peacock. I wish I had known this yesterday. So. What I ended up doing was using the iPad yesterday, and it was um, 
it was virtually kind of indistinguishable from NBC Sports to Gold that way. Although, let me point out, the idea that they bring in Liam McHugh, who's one of the big guns at NBC Sports, uh, and uh, they have Robbie Earl and Kyle Martino in the studio, and that they're doing it like a normal uh, uh, NBC Sports broadcast with, uh, with their, their top talent, uh, I don't know if that's a one-off, if that, if that was a first-day thing, or if they plan to have studio shows and, 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 and this sort of level of analysis during Peacock games, because that is something they did not do on NBC Sports Gold. So yeah. uh, that's that's my question, Chris. I mean, maybe it's just a first-day thing. I think it's just a one-off thing. Yeah, so yeah. For, for, for next season, um, 175 games will be on Peacock exclusively. So uh, those will be non-televised games. Um, and, and NBC Sports Gold will be going away. So Peacock would be the only way you could, you could watch those 175 games. And as it, as we have each kind of different uh, development from NBC Sports over the years, from NBC Sports Live Extra to NBC Sports Gold to now Peacock, is the number of games that are being featured exclusively uh, through streaming keeps on increasing kind of uh, time after time. So we're at 175 for next season. And who knows the, the the final season of the current NBC deal, whether that that number will increase to to much more. Now I should point out Live Extra you, you, because you have Xfinity, which is odd because it's, you know Comcast owns NBC. It was streaming for you. I have Directv, so I got all the games on oh, spillover channels. So. Actually, Live Extra is something I miss, although I know a lot of people I speak to say, oh, it was just the same thing. It was free. Um, but for people who had DirecTV, I, maybe DirecTV and Uverse were the only um, cable providers they made that deal with, but they actually got spillover channels on DirecTV. Hmm. And now, as far, as far as the cons go, um, some of the negatives, there seem to be lo- lots of teething problems. So, for example, on Wednesday morning, uh, the app wasn't available on Google. Um, it actually became available, I think, later in the morning. It was just really difficult to find. Um, also, there seemed to be no full-length uh, replays available of uh, the game. So if you missed them live, uh, you could catch the highlights, but you couldn't actually see the full-length replays of that. Uh, it's still not available. Peacock is still not available on Roku or Amazon Fire TV, and and and, and this be, ended up becoming a big issue because um, if you try to connect an external monitor to watch any of the games, you came it came up with an error message. It said like, "Sorry, uh, we've detected that you've got an external monitor, and you cannot uh, stream Peacock on it." Which for me is, not just for me, but for a lot of soccer fans, that was a major issue because if you're at work and you've got two monitors, maybe you've got one monitor for your emails and Microsoft Office and your work, and then you have an external monitor on the side where you you could have a game on in the background kind of to watch. Or for me personally, as I had um, Nottingham Forest against Swansea City on uh, one of the screens on my monitor and I wanted to watch the Peacock game at the same time on my laptop – you couldn't do it. Um, from what I understand, it's actually it was intentional that, that they're doing it this this way. Uh, it just is the first time I've ever experienced this from any streaming platform where they've stopped you from actually having it on an external monitor. It, it's absolutely crazy. L- last but not least, uh, it, it's in terms of the cons, once you're in Peacock, it wasn't that easy to find where the Premier League games were. You would think it would be under the sports section, so you go into the sports section and um, it was, I don't think it was even listed there in the morning. 
Uh, it was listed under, under channels, and then you had to scroll down quite a bit. So, so the UI of it isn't uh, seamless, and it, and I was surprised that they didn't actually promote the Premier League uh, uh, more heavily within Peacock. It just seemed to be kind of like, hey, you have to kind of hunt and peck to find it. What was your take, Kartik? Did you have any of the same experiences? I had an experience on um, on the morning of yesterday. Of, of uh, we're recording this Thursday morning, so Wednesday morning, the fifteenth, where uh, I have signed up. I signed up for Peacock Premium weeks ago, and they didn't charge me until the fifteenth. Uh, so, uh, to preface everything, I have Peacock Premium, and uh, I I don't know if that means that I have less issues, less problems, a different layout than the rest of you. So, just to preface what I'm saying. Um, my monitor on my uh, laptop, on one of my laptops, it, it said, hey, uh, we're trying to uh, determine whether you can have enhanced playback functions when I logged in. And it gave me that. Now, I didn't try and uh, mirror it with another monitor, uh, but it was working on there. On my iPad, uh, where I ended up watching the games, and this, like I said, this was at 8 in the morning, and then when I uh, turned it on at, uh, at noon, uh, the iPad straight through noon to six or actually till like six ten. There was a racing show on after um, they, uh, they it played straight through without any problems. Uh, now, when I would go on the monitor, because there was a time I decided I would go back onto my uh, laptop to try and pick pull another match because Mm -hmm. remember at at one Eastern there were simultaneous kickoffs. Then it kind of gave me some error message. And then I realized, okay, I'm, I'm that's, that's fine. I'm streaming it on another platform. I'm streaming it on another device actually. So maybe it's, it's blocking me from that. I don't know if that was the case or not, but I got an error message and I said, okay, I'm not going to push it. Uh, Let me just go back to watching uh, uh, the, the, the the Spurs match on the, uh, or sorry, it was the Burnley Wolves match on the uh, other, other device. So that was, um, that was my experience. So I, I didn't have a problem. And as I said, this morning, where it's Thursday morning, the 16th, I've discovered the app on my smart TV, which will make today, Premier League matches easier to go back and forth between SN and uh, and uh, uh, Peacock mm-hmm. on my television. There's also Serie A going on at the same time, so it'll be uh, uh, and uh, easier than having to go to my uh, uh, to another device. Yeah, and uh, hopefully some of these issues are things that they can work out and have and also add, be added to Roku and be added to Amazon Fire TV sticks and etc. Because next season this is going to be uh, front and center. I mean, like I said, 175 games out of the entire season. Hopefully by that point, um, well before that point, that Peacock will have its act together and make it more seamless, make it easier to use. Um, and I think this is going to be the future. I mean, whether or not NBC uh, is able to renew their deal uh, that's going to be coming up for bid next year uh, for the, um, the 22 season onwards, this is going to be a major part of NBC's play is trying to get you to subscribe to Peacock. Now, there's a free version of Peacock uh, that will not have the Premier League. And there's a P- Peacock Premium, like Kartik mentioned, uh, which you can have a choice between five dollars a month, um, or there's a um, which has commercials. Uh, there's a ten dollars a month which doesn't have commercials, or you have if you have a Xfinity, if you're an Xfinity customer, it's free. Um, but that's the way things are heading more and more. We've seen Although that. Although I, I don't know if the deal is over, but I paid uh, forty nine ninety nine for the year, which yeah. comes out to much cheaper. Yeah, yeah, uh, for the and I think that's free. 
And I think that deal's already ended. So, so okay. you're, you're lucky to get in on that contact as far as getting the, the cost savings. Because that is only, what's $50 divided by 12. I mean, that's not even uh, $5 a month, right. really, right? Yeah. yeah. So I got. I mean, I got a great deal. As, um, as, as far as the other content, I, I don't know about you, but I looked through last night. I was like, okay, can I try and find something to watch? Is there anything of interest to me? Um, this Brave New World, which is a, an original series that I was like, okay, I remember reading the Aldous uh, Huxley book, and I thought, okay, this might be interesting. Let me add that to my watch list. I saw some Alfred Hitchcock movies. I thought, okay, that might be interesting. I've seen them all, but there wasn't, for me personally, there was hardly any other content that I would be interested in. I don't, I don't know about you, Kartik. Yeah, whereas CBS All Access, and remember, it is day one, but CBS All Access, which I, I hadn't really uh, used until NWSL Challenge Cup rolled around and uh, have, have, have now been on it for the last few weeks, that, uh, there were a lot of good movies. Now, I would say the inventory of movies they have matches the free movies you get on Amazon Prime or Hulu, right, that rotate in and out. But CBS All Access has uh, seems to have some of those same that same sort of catalog of older movies, which may be just kind of a shot. Well, hey, you don't have to get Hulu if you don't need it, because if you signed up for this for live sports or news or whatever, or CBS dramas, we're also giving you this library of older movies. Now, Peacock would probably have libraries of movies that are universal movies. Keep yep. that in mind. Yeah. So that's um, that, that that that's uh in, in, in a way, kind of all-encompassing, you would think, but it also limits them. Just like Disney+, Plus, Disney+, Plus's catalog of movies is limiting because it's only Disney movies. And I think uh, Peacock would be the universal version of that. Now, historically, there have been more good universal movies, at least from my perspective, than Disney movies. So um, there's probably going to be more on Peacock than Disney+, Plus in terms of older classic movies. But maybe still not the same amount as you get on Netflix or uh, certainly not on Netflix, but at Prime, Hulu, or All Access. I would put those in kind of the same tier um, as we compare them. All right. So MLS is back. So uh, interesting, Kartik, because of the way that MLS is producing, MLS is back, gives us um, an indication of where they are heading in the future and where they're at now, which is, and, and you noticed this too from Serie A, uh, and we noticed it too, also from the, the German Cup, uh, the way that they're producing these games. So instead of having kind of their traditional format, which would be, say, you mean two commentators on sites, and then you've got uh, a studio host, a presenter, usually you might have about uh, including the actual uh, commentators, maybe a team of uh, six talent. The way that they're doing it now with MLS and they've done before with Serie A uh, of, of late and with the German Cup is two, two people. That's it. And it's it's the people in the studio. So you have John Champion in, in an unfamiliar role of uh, being the host live on ESPN with joined by his co-commentator, his analyst, um, Taylor Twellman. And it's interesting, too, because it uh, changes the way that we watch or experience the analysis of soccer games is you have those two people with you pre-match and then throughout the entire game doing the commentary and halftime and post-match. Um, do you feel like you miss out on anything, Kartik, or is this a winning formula? Um, I mean, I, I like, because ESPN, I like the ESPN FC studio. I, I, I feel like maybe we're missing out on something. But again, the guy that they would probably use in the studio would be Alejandro Moreno, who is tied up with other MLS's back matches working with Adrian Healy. So the studio would probably be Healy and Moreno. And because they're doing other matches, remember, we, as we said at the outset, we have this marathon of matches. I think in terms of, uh, of 
MLS, it was impractical to have a separate. I mean, they could have Seb Salazar and Hercules Gomez or something like that. They could have some combination of that. Uh, but they uh, – Oh, Craig Burley. Uh, or Craig Burley, right? They chose to go this route. <laughs> now, now they won't. They probably the MLS fans don't want Burley on. But, right, exactly. Um, That's why I left. That, but yeah. the Ser- uh, Serie A, they've done the same thing. Where if it's a, a match, uh, there was a match which Ross Dyer and Janus Mikalik uh, called this past week, uh, where they were in, in in a studio. And then the same thing with uh, the 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 Mark Donaldson Matteo Benetti matches or the Adrian Healy. Craig Burley matches. That's um, that's an interesting approach. I mean, for me, the most interesting part of MLS's back TV coverage. Maybe we can get to this in a minute. Has been the camera work, uh, which okay, uh, I understand. This is very controversial. Well, go, go so, 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 so tell me about this. So, so, for example, so before we, we we go into it, I was on the the media conference call where I read the press releases and, and I heard uh, the producers at ESPN talking about. Uh, all these kind of experimental camera angles and all of these things that they would be doing. And I've been watching a lot of the games, not all, not as many games as you, but what am I missing? I mean, to me, it doesn't feel that much different than, than a normal La Liga game. Or, I mean, what is so different about this than, than other leagues? So I think um, it's, again, a matter of personal preferences because um, I understand uh, the, the the greater chunk of people who watch European football in this country, who particularly the Premier League, don't go to live soccer matches. They, they're not sitting in the stands or in the press box like me, uh, watching at this kind of angle, which is different than... So, you know, the, the thing for me is you get to see players move off the ball and a lot of player movement things that... Um, if you're watching the Premier League, you don't get those angles, but then you have a co-commentator. When Stu Robson is the co-commentator, he's telling you what's going on. A lot of times the co-commentator is not telling you what's going on. So these camera angles are kind of wider views, uh, full kind of pitch side. It, 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 the camera work, they're switching angles consistently, but what you're seeing is that you're getting more of the pitch because – what it is is, and we've talked about this before on the show, Chris. Most MLS fans, there are MLS doesn't have any TV fans, right? Their TV fans are basically people who go to games uh, and they're watching their team when they're away from home, right? Right. So basically, because this tournament is in Orlando, it's behind closed doors. They're trying to replicate the fan stands experience. Like right now, as we're taping this, Atlanta's playing Cincinnati, and the the there are more wide views and kind of uh, top views of. That, um, you know, the, the kind of angles that you, you can have in FIFA if you play FIFA and you never use, right? Because it's difficult to play with those angles yep. uh, than you would in a normal uh, soccer broadcast. And what it's giving you is some sense of what guys are doing off the ball, what player movement is happening off the ball, which is exciting for people who go to live games. I, now, I will say the flip side of it is you're not getting as many close-up angles or kind of traditional TV coverage uh, of action that you would get um, in, uh, in in a normal Premier League or Bundesliga or Serie A match. So I'll give you the example of the San Jose-Vancouver game, the counterattack, which was launched by Vancouver, um, and, and they scored. The second goal ended up being an own goal, but it was a perfect counterattack uh, until, um, the, well, was perfect still because San Jose's uh, defender put the ball in their own net uh, past Daniel Vega, uh, their keeper. But that entire sequence was shot from a wide angle where you saw the defenders track back, all three defenders and the two San Jose attackers, what they were doing. And you saw what the keeper was doing, what what Vega was doing. Um, But 
if you watch a counterattack like that, like the clinical counterattacks we've seen from Chelsea at times and Liverpool at times this season in the Premier League, they'll always be kind of a close-up side angle where you see uh, Mane running with the ball and you can see Salah in the background or, or, or mm-hmm. whoever making the run and the defender tracking back. This was from a completely different angle. Again, it's personal preferences. I... Uh, fell in love with it. I mean, I was the, I got the press release and, and the media call and everything, and was saying, "Ah, oh, what's the big deal?" It was the um, the Philly New York game, one of the first matches of the tournament that made me fall in love with these these camera views because I was like, "Oh yeah, this is like actually being there for those of us who are used to being at matches." Uh, but again, people who just watch soccer on television, it's probably I would have guessed for them a lot of them it's probably annoying. Well, to me, it's not annoying. I, I just can't really and i'm watching actually as as we're recording this and i'm actually watching the atlantic and cincinnati game i have it I'm watching it so there's definitely more uh cameras kind of on the touchline so you see more close-ups from that but other than that I, I don't see that much of a difference i mean in terms of before the tournament they were talking about drones and experimental things and i just haven't seen that as much i mean i, I i've seen kind of the the view from the helicopter, kind of of the the Philadelphia goal against Inter Miami, um, those things are different. But me watching the games, I haven't seen as many what was kind of almost seemed to be revolutionary camera work. It just seems to me like just a very very similar to kind of your La Liga or Premier League games, and and that's not a negative. That that's a positive. The the other thing about it too, Kartik, is just that the main camera. Whenever the ball is near the touchline, uh, below the main camera, oftentimes the main camera can't even pick up what's happening on the pitch, so you don't even see that. So then you have to rely yes. on on that, the that, on the touchline camera. That, that has been an issue. That, no, that that's absolutely been the the biggest issue I think in in the camera work in this tournament. Uh, the San Jose goal I mentioned yesterday, uh, sorry, the Vancouver goal I mentioned yesterday was uh, one of those examples of whether that was a helicopter or a drone. Uh, they've had enough of those views to satisfy me, and I love them. But you're you're right. I guess the majority of camera work is no different than a, a typical La Liga match. But they have these kind of the, the, these views they go to, and it, it allows me as someone who likes to watch uh, and understand what guys are doing off the ball, whether they're whether they have a, a good work rate, whether they're making smart runs, or whether they're just standing around. Which, in the case of some of these defenders, a lot of these defenders in MLS, unfortunately, happens. Um, it's giving me a better insight into that. But yeah, that that idea that that there's a little area that's cut off, right, and that's right. off camera, um, close to the touchline, and that's an issue. And that's been an issue in the entire tournament. Yeah, um, and it's an issue in the match we're watching as we record live, right? This yeah, Atlanta match. Yeah, and and I think as as games games have gone on, it's been better where they've had the the sideline cameras, like the guys, I mean, handheld cameras right alongside the pitch, uh, trying to pick up uh, any of the action that's happening right along that touchline. So that that's been better. Um, the very first game, which was the uh, Orlando Miami game, it was pretty bad in terms of that. But it, you know, it's not it's not. Uh, the end of the world by any means, but over, overall, I would say the television production has been good. Overall, the uh, production of the games has been fantastic in terms of, you mean everything from the uh, those virtual boards. Um, I'd like to see more of the fans because you only pretty much see them kind of behind the goal sometimes, or um, when the camera kind of goes up a little bit and you see it above the advertising. But overall, I think they've done a good job. Um, the quality of play, Kartik. I just I just find Major League Soccer is overly physical, and and, and at the same time there's just 
poor refereeing. It seems that the players can get away with so much more in these games where there's you mean decisions where it's it's definitely a yellow card and yeah. it's, it's just a warning and i'm like and it happens repeatedly and some these games seem to be much more physical than than a typical game from anywhere around the world other than you mean you mean especially europe yeah i would agree on the uh, on the refereeing um and there have been some real controversial i would say mistakes in this tournament I think physicality comes with MLS, and that's something that if you watch MLS, you're used to and you expect. The uh, the big talking point, I think, on the refereeing is VAR. So there are, there are people who uh, are watching, although the ratings don't necessarily tell us this, but I know there are people who are watching MLS this tournament who normally just watch the Premier League. Um, and they're seeing the implementation of VAR completely differently in MLS. And this goes back, and we've talked a lot about Stuart Robson already. I guess he's the team of this podcast. I mean, it's the Stuart Robson podcast. Uh, that's our that's our working title this week. But <laughs> yeah. Stuart Robson had pointed out very early on, um, and I guess, you know, he doesn't like Mike Riley, right? But um, the difference between Howard Webb, um, who was a Premier League official forever, and Mike Riley, and how they appro- and Howard Webb's now the head of officials in MLS, uh, for those who don't know, and um, how they took this very different approach to VAR. So Riley wanted to check everything, right? Yeah, and um, and, and make sure they got everything right. Webb and I, I actually sat in and, and interviewed Howard Webb uh, when um, he put in place these these protocols now more than three years ago, and um, Webb's view was he didn't want to break up the natural flow of a match, right? So basically, if it's a clear and obvious error they will stop the match so i think it gives you more free-flowing football in mls than you have in the premier league the premier league is very annoying with all its stops but there are also still a great number of mistakes being made in mls that uh maybe well actually there's something in the premier league by bar but you know you know what i mean you know what i'm yeah yeah as far as the way that mls does for i i like that and and um Oftentimes, not oftentimes, but sometimes in games, there are decisions where I'm like, I, I want to see that again, because that one looked like he was onside. It, it didn't look like he was offside. But then you have to trust in VAR and the VAR official. Yeah, the first LAFC goal, right? The other night against uh, Houston was clearly offside. Yeah. Um, but but and, uh, uh, yeah, even, Webb's directive is get on with the game. Right. And even the Philly-Miami game, there was an uh, instance in the first half where Philly looked like the guy was onside, but uh, he was ruled offside by the, 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 the assistant referee. But I'd like to see that again. I'd like to see VAR kind of look at that more closely or give us a replay of the show, uh, you know, evidence-wise, um, with, the, with the lines or whatever. But, but at least the game was flowing. It, it didn't, you mean... It wasn't the stop-start nature that we're accustomed to in the Premier League. The worrying thing, though, Kartik, about this whole thing, too, is that um, FIFA and uh, Gianni Infantino says that uh, he wants to have a, uh, a VAR kind of uh, standard that's used globally. It's the same standard for everyone. So, so which path they go down, which is many different paths to choose from as far as all the leagues are doing things differently – it's still too early to me at this point that hasn't been perfected by any means, not even no. close to it. That's worrying because you, you and know, the Premier FIFA. League doesn't seem to be able to uh, to, to grasp uh, the, the 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 importance if they're going to stop constantly of getting the call right. Because I think what's happening is it's just added another layer of subjectivity, and the matches stop. Uh, 
constantly in the Premier League. I mean, I, I and honestly, Germany and, and and Italy have now had VAR for longer than the Premier League, and they don't have all of these stoppages that the Premier League has. And as we said, MLS has virtually no stoppages. Maybe maybe MLS needs more stoppages. I don't know because again, <laughs> uh, Webb has a very high standard where he wants to keep the uh, keep the game flowing, and it makes me think. That might be even the standard. Maybe this is why there was some sort of decision by Howard Webb, who was the preeminent official in England, to move to the United States. I guess he has just a very different view of this thing uh, than Mike Riley, who is the head of officials, who was technically Howard Webb's boss uh, in in uh, England, had. And, and it's, uh, it's fascinating to see the contrast. I'm hoping that if we have a unified standard, uh, that Infantino puts in place, it does not look like what the Premier League does because, uh, or maybe they'll 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 figure it out eventually. But I was hopeful with the COVID break we'd come back and VAR wouldn't be as big of an issue in the Premier League. If anything, it's become an even bigger issue, right? I right. Mean, it's like it overshadows everything. And and uh, I mean, which which um, which uh, NBC broadcast was it? Where afterwards Rebecca Lowe and uh, and Musto and 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 uh, Earl after about fifteen minutes were like, okay, we're going to talk about the match. It was something since the restart. We've yeah. spent the first fifteen minutes talking about VAR again. The Spurs game, I think. Where um, uh, was it? Uh, Lucas Moura got uh, pushed uh, Sheffield against yes. Sheffield United, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. that became it was such a bad game anyway. But that was kind of the only instance, uh, the, the talking point. I mean, and, and they could have spent like a, I think they probably spent like a good 40, 45 minutes on that. Well, they were on their way, and then she, I guess maybe someone put a bug in her ear and said, hey, let's talk about the, the game. But it right. literally <laughs> were 15 minutes, I, I want to say. Oh, at least. They were only least. talking about bar. So, so before we talk about uh, ESPN's coverage and uh, compared to Fox's coverage of MLS's back, which, which I know you've got some uh, strong thoughts on, I just want to mention too, Kartik, it, it is so frustrating and so annoying too, and, and this has been going on forever, is, is the kickoff times with MLS is back. So when it's an 8, eight, eight o'clock kickoff and it doesn't start till 8.45, when it says it's a 9 o'clock kickoff and it doesn't start till, I don't know, 9.15, 9.30, or worse, when it's a 10.30 Eastern time kickoff and you're not starting until almost 11 o'clock Eastern time, um, that is, that's frustrating cause, because, you I mean, you're either staying up late or getting up early, you mean, depending on which time zone you're on and you're hoping, you're, you're timing things sometimes based on that to make other plans and the kickoff times are kind of just being shifted uh, as is MLS as and US soccer, they love to do. Uh, just really frustrating with that. Yeah, I uh, I agree with that. And it's, it's, it's now to the point where it's not just frustrating, it's annoying. I, I do not know when to turn on a match. And I will freely admit this. I guess this is a good segue. Uh, if a match is a uh, John Champion, Taylor Tolman match, okay, I'm turning it on at 9 a.m. I'm turning it on at 8 p.m. I'm t- turning it on at 10.30, whatever the list of time is on ESPN. Uh, or same thing with Moreno and, 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 and Healy. They're doing a good job. If it's a Fox match or a 2DNA match, I'm trying to you know get the whatever else I'm doing, uh, cram it into the 10 or 15 minutes. And sometimes the kickoff is like 8.12. It's 8.17. Um so that's that's frustrating, and I think that's a general thing with American sports in general. Tip-off times, kick-off times are not uh, the time that, that's synchronized. And I, I think the other thing 
uh, about this tournament that to me has been so uh, interesting. And I, I just want to point this out in, in, in deference to MLS or in support of MLS. Um, you and I have talked for years about how MLS regular season ma- matches mean nothing, right? Mm-hmm. And how it's very difficult to watch. And every season, you and I will watch the league the first week or two, pick up on TV trends, and then kind of put it away until after uh, Bundesliga, Premier League, Serie A, La Liga are done, uh, and then the international tournaments are done, and then maybe start watching it again in September. I have had to say, you know, you talked about the physicality in these games, the sense of urgency, and this this goes back, this just tells us what happens if something's on the line. The sense of urgency and, um, and, and, and intensity in these matches, I, I know there are people who will argue with me in defense of the MLS regular season, um, it's night and day between this tournament and what we normally see in MLS. I agree. This has been, yeah, I mean, they, guys have been going after it, and it's been fun. That's why I've watched think- every minute. The, the, the only thing I'm missing, though, Kartik, and I agree with you, this is more meaningful uh, and this is more uh, interesting to watch than than the the regular season, kind of, which seems like a, just a, uh, you mean, just a long, uh, arduous kind of journey. But but this this is definitely more interesting, and it'd be great if they this in the future they said, okay, you know, instead of the regular season, we're just going to have a tournament, <laughs> and we're going to figure out which teams were actually going to make the playoffs based on this tournament, and, and we're going to make it more exciting. This, this, this I, I like it. They're probably not going to do that. Uh, but that's the reason there have been so many stoppage time goals too. By the way, in this tournament, it's like uh, teams are not settling for points, right? They're yeah. they're going for three points. The um, old- the only the only thing that's missing, I think, is just the um, those star players. So there's a lot of teams that are yeah. ver- very very um, equal in, in in team team wise. There's a lot of quality there. Some teams better than others, um, and there's a lot of good good team play, good team chemistry. Uh, you mean, but it's missing those individual stars that are going to take a a nil nil that's going into the last five or ten minutes and and do something incredible, just do something absolutely creative that's going to go that's going to blow your socks off. And and I think that's what's missing is that. Um, I mean, it doesn't have to be a European star. It doesn't have to be a Zlatan, although that would be nice. But there's enough talent around the world, I'm sure, from South America to bring them into these games to make to turn the them into stars. The guy at MLS who can do that is injured. It's Joseph Martinez. Right. So that's really kind of a bad break for the league because he is that guy. Uh, I can't think of anyone readily in the league uh, besides him who, who who's here because obviously uh, Vela is not here and Chicharito um, yeah, is I not mean, the same. But, yeah, but, but, but that's yeah. the thing, though. I mean, I mean like a really rough first e- each match each of those teams needs that that one guy that that star player that you tune in to go like, oh man, this guy is amazing. I'm so going to watch this, this guy. Interesting MLS. I think much like the Premier League has done the last several years has tried to make the coaches um, more more celebrities. So uh, particularly Thierry Henry and Yapstam, who are huge names in world football, uh, they have tried to market the heck out of. Uh, and uh, that's, um, I don't know if it'll pay off in this tournament, but it, it's a very, it's something the Premier League did for years and it worked for the Premier League. It's something leagues like uh, the Bundesliga have never quite gotten a grasp on uh, to, to how to market their managers. And in Italy, the managers aren't there long enough to market them, right? <laughs> in Spain, they're not there long enough. But I, I noticed that, that there's been just a lot more focus specifically on those two guys, but on some of the other uh, managers also during this, uh, even Os- Oscar Perea um, mm-hmm. of Orlando. I think that that might be where they're going with the superstar strategy because, I mean, Thierry Henry and Yap Stam are global superstars in this sport. Um, they, now, they, are they good managers? 
managers. We don't know that yet, but they're but they are people to market. Yeah, and both of those are quality players of of old, and I have no interest in in, in hearing from them. I I have interest in in them doing well with their teams. But that's not going to make me tune into a game. That's not going to pull, yeah. pull pull me in closer to MLS games. I'm looking for the the quality on the field and looking for those individual players that are going to shine. Those those players that could be, I mean, in, in one or two years, going on to join a Bundesliga club or it's you know, Alfonso D- Davis or these these types of star players. And I'm not seeing that for the most part. I am seeing actually um, now and again that I'll see one or two players, um, but for the most part, it's very. Um, equal, they kind of both teams hit, uh, going at each other, and it's it. There's really no standout players, but ov- overall, I've, I've been impressed, and, and um, my expectations were probably low for this tournament going into it, and and coming out of it so far. What I've seen thus far, I've, I've been uh, I've been impressed. Now, Kartik, let's go back to our topic that we're going to start talk about. Is, is Fox's coverage of MLS is back? There hasn't been a lot. I mean, most of these games are on ESPN. Uh, two Duenes had some uh, exclusives too, but uh, Fox not so much. Uh, they have had some. Um, what's your take on what you've seen from Fox? Yeah, so um, first off, they're piping in crowd noise, which um, and so is Tudiene, which I guess um, people have gotten used to from the Premier League. If they, although a lot of people tell me they keep asking me. Uh, hey, where can I get the clean feed for the Premier League? And I'll tell them they have to go online um, to the NBC Sports app, etc. That um, they that took away one of the great, and we didn't mention this earlier. One of the great things I've liked about MLS is back is that I'm hearing all the players communicate. Now, one uh, one thing that's been noticeable is all the uh, so many of the players communicate in Spanish and not in English in MLS with one another. Uh, and the second thing we picked up from the ESPN microphones is that there's always they're always talking kind of tactics to one another, space, etc. The sort of things that that really kind of I geek out on. Um, not getting down on Fox. Secondly. Um, it's a high, high standard when you're talking about John Champion and Taylor Twelman, arguably the best uh, broadcast duo in the English language, right? Anywhere in the world. Uh, but Fox is just as much as I like John Strong and, and I and I really like Stu Holden as a as a color commentator. They're just not up to that standard, right? They don't talk about the same things. They don't talk about the game in the same way. Um, I do have a friend who told me that uh, he was a Premier League fan, one of these people who doesn't normally watch MLS, who uh, who watched uh, Champion and, and Twelman for, for a few matches and says, maybe they're just showing off they're so good, right? You know, they're, so, they're showing off all their knowledge because Twelman will bring in something random from the Bundesliga or, 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 or uh, another league in Europe, and, and Champion will always lean on his experience uh, calling English football and, and Champions League in the past, UEFA Champions League. Uh, but they're just at a totally different level than, than the strong... Uh, Holden duel. Then you go to the studio with Rob Stone, and it's—I mean, it's just not the same thing, right? I mean, they, there's just this huge drop off in coverage. So it's very much like acceptable coverage for MLS in 2015. What Fox presents you, but is it acceptable coverage now that ESPN has brought John Champion over from England? Now that Taylor Twelman is one of the best, if not the best, co-commentator in the English language anywhere in the world, is it uh, is it okay when uh, ESPN's graphics are kind of subtle and complimentary? That Fox has, you know, all these kind of crazy graphics going on, all these crazy things going on. Um, is it, um, you know, is it is it okay on 2DNA, and this is now not on Fox, on 2DNA, that they, they seem to be overcalling games, right? Yeah. You know, they yeah. don't, there's no, there's no breathing room. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure. You know, I think this tournament has just kind of, 
and I know ESPN's doing a, a lot of the production for the other two networks too, but in the way that they, they present the match, I think there's now just greater separation between ESPN and the other two broadcasters for MLS. Yeah, I've got a different take on this. So, so my personal experience and my personal feelings when I'm watching this is that uh, I've actually grown a little bit burned out on the John Champion Taylor Twelman duo. Duo, I like both of them. Both of them are uh, very smart, very good with their analysis, very good at their games. But I've, I've almost every single game I've watched of ESPN, it's been the same two guys. It's and. and uh, I've missed the last few games, so I think there have been some variety now. Um, it's t- yeah, there's some Healy Moreno, but it's still mostly uh, Twelman. And, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, it's, yeah. mostly, it's mostly champion form. Yeah, I, I, I want to see Seb Salazar. I want to see, I don't know, Ju- uh, Julie Foudy. Or I, I want to mix it up Kirk a little Gomez, bit. Maybe. Yeah, oh, absolutely. So so now going back to Fox and Tudo Ene, the crowd noise I'm okay with. And I personally, from my experience, I think that the what we were expecting and what we're getting on the ESPN uh noise the actual audio is overrated so yes for the first couple of games i was like wow that's great we can hear them speaking mostly spanish or um, in one of the miami games a lot of f-bombs getting bleeped out and then just hearing the the communication between the players but after a while i was like okay this is just the same stuff over and over again there's nothing new here except once in a while you can hear the coaches uh, and listen in on what they're saying, which which adds a whole different dynamic. That's something we, we haven't heard before, we haven't seen before uh, during the water breaks. But for the most part, uh, I'm okay with the crowd noise just because on the Fox and Tuduene, it's more in the background. It's it's not as obnoxious as what the Premier League is doing, where it's really kind of in your face and, and not in sync with the games itself. Um from Fox's perspective, I mean, they had the commercials during the water breaks. I'm okay with that. Yet John Strong and Stu Holden doing the commentary. I'm okay with that too. Um, and I think, um, and, and also the interviews with the play with the coaches during the water breaks. I'm, I'm okay with that too. But what I, what I do find completely obnoxious and, and a clown show is is Fox's uh, studio uh, kind of analysis. And, and I think part of it too is, is that's Fox's style where they're trying to be uh, obnoxious and bright and, and, and kind of just, just, just like, like, you know, all American, just like, you mean, just kind of getting out there and just saying stupid things and just playing off each other, just turn of phrases and just laughing and giggling. And it's, it's all fun. It's all soccer. It's all like go USA. And it's, it's a complete opposite of what ESPN is doing, which ESPN's coverage is a lot more, intelligent it's a lot more thoughtful it's a lot more interesting it's a lot more engaging um fox is just absolutely just typical fox it's just and and i think part of it though too is to me is like this is this is the same alexi lalas who was with uh espn during the world cup what 2014 it was the shining star and in some of the euros with uh balak michael balak giving some really thoughtful, intelligence, like really hardcore, great analysis and discussion and debate. And, and you got the best out of Lalas. I mean, to me at this point, while I respect Lalas for being somebody who plays the game and uh, is smart and intelligent, he's really reduced his value as somebody, uh, as an analyst. But, but the thing the thing about Lawless is he doesn't, uh, in defense of him, he does not uh, act that way when he's not 
broadcasting MLS with the U.S. national team. I mean, I, I found but that, his studio But that's analysis. all he does. Yeah. No, no. But when he did the Bundesliga prior to oh, you know, yeah. them ramping down, I, that's why I think I wrote a column once, good lawless versus bad lawless. I mean, you know, you'd watch <laughs> him in the morning on the Bundesliga and he'd be giving like this fantastic studio analysis about, you know, things that were going on in the match. And, and, and tactical considerations and psychological considerations. And then you get to the primetime game in MLS, and it was like, what's he talking about? <laughs> you know, but, it's not the same guy. But, that, but, but that's it's the like thing. hours between games. But, but that's the thing, though, too, is Lalas eats that up. He, he loves it, whether you're, you love him or hate him, as long as you talk about him, and, and which we are right now. But yeah. the reality is, I think, at the end of the day, though, that helps his uh, Twitter profile. But it does not help the TV ratings. I mean, I mean, you mean when people see that it's Lalas, I think I, th- I believe that people will switch that channel or turn it off or go to something else, just because they they've gotten so sick and tired of years and years now since like what 2015 or so uh, of just just BS. I mean, when it when it is MLS or, or, or US games, and when it's a Bundesliga, yes, it's different to me. I, and I asked him this when we interviewed him: is like, who is the real Alexi Lalas? And and he answered us and said, like, well, who's the real Kartik and who's the real Chris? We're all putting on a show, which I got pissed off about because we're not putting on a show. This this is the real me, Kartik. This is the real you. We're not, uh, I mean, pretending to be something that we're not. Lalas is. Lalas is pretending. And, and the Lalas that we see on these MLS uh, broadcasts, I don't think is the real Lalas. I think he's just playing a, playing a role. And he does it well within that Fox environment. But it just devalues his analysis, devalues him as a professional. All right, let's move on to TV streaming news, Kartik. Yeah, so um, our first story of the week is IMG, and we know CBS uh, obviously now has the rights to the Champions League and Europa League beginning immediately. IMG is pursuing CBS's production uh, of UCL, and these decisions have to be made quickly. IMG produces the weekly magazine show that we we all, well, I shouldn't say we all watch, but a lot of us watch uh, for, for the Champions League weekly show. Um, they could do a quick turnkey operation for CBS uh, using their production studios. They're based in London, etc. cetera. Um, if CBS does this, they're going to have to make the decision to do this like now, right, in the next, next few days. Uh, but CBS is under the gun, and this might provide – a short-term solution that makes sense for them. Uh, And it may not be the best type of kind of Americanized coverage some of you might be looking for, uh, but it probably would be very professionally done and and very tastefully done. So behind the scenes, I've been having discussions uh, with executives with CBS, but also some, some of my sources. And from what I'm hearing, it's positive. I mean, the things that they're talking about, the things that they're thinking about, about the coverage of the UEFA Champions League, um, I'm excited about. Now, whether or not they can pull it off, we'll have to wait and see. But so far, so good. And, and I think, too, for the, these next few games or the next few rounds of the UEFA Champions League and the Europa League, um, starting in early August and ending at, what, July, uh, August 23rd, I think, is the final, is that... Um, that's going to be probably IMG taking a role and CBS not having as major of a role. And then for, for the next season, then too, when the, the season starts up in, what, September, October, then, then I think we'll see the real CBS and, and what they do. But so far, so good. Um, what wasn't good, though, unfortunately, Kartik, was the uh, the draw uh, for the UEFA Champions League and uh, the Europa League. 
and um, and many people caught this on social media too. Kind of Thomas Rongen giving some really poor analysis about uh, Atalanta and uh, RB Leipzig. And uh, not only that, but then CBS, I think, sports going ahead and actually tweeting that out, uh, not catching it themselves. So hopefully it's just a, a, a poor mistake, uh, kind of be- beginner's uh, mistakes, and, and hopefully th- those things will be rectified in the future. Yeah. I, go ahead. Uh, so actually, uh, let me go ahead. Uh, the next point of uh, news is the debut trailer for the Ted Lasso TV series has dropped. Ted Lasso will premiere globally with the first three episodes on Apple TV Plus on Friday, August the 14th. Uh, Following the premiere, new episodes will debut weekly on Fridays thereafter on the streaming service. Now, Kartik, I I do not have Apple TV Plus. Um, I'm not sure if you do, but uh, you do. All right. So did you see the trailer for this one? Yes, I did. And uh, and the thing that Apple TV Plus uh, has done previously is that they or at least the things I've watched on there, like the morning show, the uh, the uh, show with uh, Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon, that they've um, they have allowed you to binge right they've released them all at once the thing that i found unique about this was that they're doing three episodes and then once a week um the trailer looks like um you know the nbcsn commercials from a few years ago they're, they're, to those of us who watch that i think probably everyone listening is aware of that uh that's nothing new but now seeing it in a full kind of um hour long or however long the show is going to be uh uh, format i think is pretty exciting i'm really looking forward to it but the yes i have apple tv plus if you don't have apple tv plus um there are ways of getting it without paying a lot um if you, if you don't <laughs> so so no i'll say if you buy a new iphone or okay, buy a new okay. ipad this year um between now and august 14th you'll get it for free now if you don't and you already have you're already on apple devices and ios devices uh you'll have to pay um but you'll also get um, a lot of other enhancements, like the new Tom Hanks movie, Greyhound, which uh, yeah, that looks I, I've already downloaded to watch on Apple TV+. Plus. I haven't watched it yet, um, but we'll probably watch this weekend. Uh, once there's some slowdown in soccer, I'm going to watch it. Right. Um, I downloaded it the first day and that it came out, which is a week ago now, and still have not uh, so much as started it. But there are some perks to it. So, okay. yeah, this is really exciting, and it's a, and it's a, it's a soccer show, so I'm excited about it. Yeah, and you scared me for a minute ago because you were talking about there are ways to watch this for, yeah, for, yeah, for free. I, I, I thought you were going to talk about illegal streaming. For, yeah, illegal streaming. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know. To, to me, I enjoy the trailer. Uh, when I see stuff like this, I smile, I laugh. I think it's funny. Uh, if if somebody was watching this from uh, Great Britain, they probably would think, like, what's, what's, what's funny about this? But it is very much a kind of American take on love stereotypes about the UK and uh, I might actually go ahead and, and, and give Apple TV Plus a trial um, when this comes out in August and, and to see if it's, I mean, if it, because it's a series, right? So it's going to, yeah. is it going to hook you week after week? I mean, there's a lot of kind of, it reminds me a lot of uh, Austin Powers, kind of just, uh, I mean, a North American take on, on kind of making fun of, of uh, British things and also kind of the, the differences and similarities between the UK and American cultures. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I think it's funny. I think it's a good idea and it'll be, uh, yeah, I'll give it a shot. What the heck? And in contact, one more news item before we move on to the next segment. 
Yeah, so uh, this week we learned about what the start times would be for the 2022 World Cup group stage in Qatar. There will be four uh, matches per day, which uh, is a little different than the past one. We've had three matches per day, except in the uh, the third the, the third group stage matches. Um, and kickoff times are as follows uh, in Eastern time, 8 a.m. Oh, sorry, 5 a.m., 8 a.m., 11 a.m., and 2 p.m. So the 5 a.m. is pretty problematic. Uh, the rest are doable, but that's for the East Coast. The West Coast, <laughs> 2 a.m., 5 a.m., 8 a.m., 11 a.m. So uh, yeah. about half the tournament, it's going to be very difficult to watch on the West Coast. Yeah, so so for Fox and Telemundo, this is going to be you mean, a Herculean uh, kind of attempt to try to get any decent ratings out of this. I mean, e- even the final, the final, I think it's at 10 a.m. Eastern time, uh, you mean 7 a.m. Uh, Pacific time. Uh, Although it was early this past time, too, remember. That's true. Uh, from Russia. That's true. But um, it's going to be difficult. I mean, I, I mean, the five. So on the, on the East Coast, I will wake up for a five a.m. and eight a.m. and eleven a.m. games and, and two p.m. No problem. If I was on the West Coast, you mean it's like why even bother going to sleep? But like the but first game's at two a.m. The reason they're doing this, okay, and it's not it's not time zone related. It's related to the fact that they're trying to cram this World Cup in the winter in the middle of club uh, a club season. So they have to have four group stage games a day. And that's essentially creating the problem because the 8 a.m. on the East Coast is not that much different than what we've gotten when the World Cup has been right. in Russia or in South Africa or in Germany, right? It would be 9 a.m. instead. But um, this is, again, a byproduct of a winter World Cup. Now, uh, I was optimistic that maybe there would be some wholesale change to the calendar because we've had COVID and uh, and there's been such a disruption to uh, to football in general that maybe this would uh, allow them to reposition this. But I guess they're still... Uh, they're still set on, uh, on on the calendar being what it is for 2022, and they're still set on this uh, Club World Cup uh, competition in the summer of 2021. And uh, and so uh, they're going to force what they're going to force. So, Kantik, you know more about traditional American sports than I do. Uh, I, I know absolutely nothing. But those, those days for that 2022 World Cup, so it begins – uh, November 21st and uh, goes through all the way till, let me see, December 18th. So in terms of your NFL world, your college football world, your other sports, how much of how many conflicts are you, you going to get in, in that time of the year? So it'll be NFL and college football. That's it. Uh, well, you have the NBA and, and uh, NHL regular seasons, but they're early in their regular seasons. And you've got uh, golf that has now uh, shortened their season. Although, I, again, things have been disrupted by COVID. So maybe the calendar gets realigned for that sport also, uh, but had shortened their season and uh, and Ryder Cup, President's Cup, all of that's over by then. Uh, so... Yeah, it's really college football and college, and uh, and uh, NFL, the beginning of college basketball. That's that's it. But the problem with it is it's the business end of those two seasons, particularly college football, that you're competing with. Um, the one break is the knockout stage coincides with the period where college football's regular season and conference uh, championship games have ended and the big bowl games haven't started yet. So that's one slight break, but the group stage is going to be brutal yeah. going up against the NFL and college football. Yeah. And I guess though with the time zones, it, it, in some ways it does work out where you have most of the games uh, finished by 1 p.m. Eastern, 
well, I guess for college football, that's not a good fit. But for NFL, though, I'm thinking of those games that uh, you could have almost back-to-back where you have some of the games, maybe say a 10 a.m. Eastern game uh, in the World Cup in the latter stages of the tournament that's over by noon. And then you've got NFL starting up from noon onwards with, with some of those NFL games. So so there's some opportunities. At least it's not a direct uh, clash at the same exact times as, as some of these games. But uh, we've got the full schedule at worldsoccertalk.com if you want to check it out. And it's got all the, uh, the different kickoff times. Uh, of course, we don't know who the teams will going to be yet, but um, it's a good read. All right, Kantik, let's move on to TV ratings. And this one, usually we skip over this section pretty quickly, but this one I want to dive into a little bit deeper just because there hasn't been a lot of discussion about the TV ratings for MLS's back. And um, that gives an indication of what the feeling is within the, I guess, U.S. soccer journalism world is they're pretty much ignoring it. And is that for a reason? Because the numbers, well, let's talk about that. So... um, a few weeks ago, before the MLS's back tournament started, you and I had the discussion on this podcast talking about the TV ratings and, and talking about how this MLS's back competition would give us more clarity on who's watching these games, who's interested in Major League Soccer. Is it your casual sports fan who is into the NBA, into NFL, has a college football team and watches MLS on the side? Or is it an audience of hardcore MLS fans who, like you mentioned, goes to the games, but with them being no games, with no fans, what would that those numbers tell us about that? So there's a lot of different things to look at with this. And um, first of all, I mean, well, let, let me turn it over to you. I mean, we've got the numbers in front of us. We can share some of those numbers with the listeners. But uh, what do the numbers tell you that you've seen thus far that we have uh, here? Uh, what they've told me is it's just the same viewers plus a, a few more kind of soccer fans who are Premier League fans, etc. What I had been hopeful of was that you, they would have a huge bump from American sports fans who don't have American sports going on right now. And uh, we have not seen that. But what I uh, I'm, I'm pleased about is that we're seeing kind of more core soccer fans that are Premier League they're probably Premier League, right? They're not Bundesliga. There's not that many Bundesliga and Serie A fans when it comes down to it in this country that have uh, have made kind of the, the, the really low, uh, other than the 9 a.m. kickoffs, right? Those just naturally have lower ratings. But the uh, the, the, the primetime games, uh, they, we don't have the kind of unevenness sometimes we have during the regular season. So they are slightly up from previous primetime ratings in regular seasons um, because of those core soccer fans. Uh but so I guess it's just been very average, Chris. I mean, I had this huge hope that American sports fans, because MLS was was back, was the first American pro sports league back, they would be watching uh, MLS. They'd be watching soccer. Hasn't happened. But I was also fearful for MLS that because it was going on at the same time as the Premier League, Serie A, and La Liga, that there would be a huge drop off in ratings. That hasn't happened either. So I guess it's just kind of the happy medium or the unhappy medium, depending on your perspective. Yeah, and, and the same thing that happened with the Bundesliga too, because when the Bundesliga started up uh, back in what mid-May, 
I was disappointed disappointed with those numbers. I'm like, what the heck are people watching? Like American sports fans are saying, like, I, I want to watch sports. And you have sports that are shown on, yes, it's FS1 and FS2. It's not ESPN. But those numbers were, were better than what they usually are. But they weren't through the roof. And I was like, okay, so what is it about uh, the Bundesliga? Is it Fox's promotion or lack thereof that is, is hurting those numbers? Now we have the MLS numbers. And, and so for listeners... Um, the two outliers, the, the, the two numbers that um, are important to mention but are not a representation of what we've seen across the board are the opening game, which is Orlando against Miami, um, Wednesday, July 8th, uh, in prime time on ESPN, 8 p.m. Eastern. A lot of anticipation, no matter if, you, if you're not an Orlando or Miami fan, a lot of people wanting to tune into this to see about this tournament. Like, what is this tournament gonna, going to look like? Uh, what's Miami going to look like? Uh, yes, it's a Florida derby. But, but for the most part, there was the curiosity. So that viewership for that number on ESPN and ESPN Deportes combined was 492,000 viewers for that. So, so decent, def- definitely decent. Not bad, a good start. The other number uh, to throw out there, too, is the number that was on Fox, on over-the-air Fox, prime time on a Saturday night, 8 p.m. Eastern. One of the best teams in the league, Atlanta United against uh, New York Red Bulls. Uh, And the Red Bulls is a a decent team, too, definitely. So this one, 587,000 viewers on this one, um, on the English English language uh, Fox side, on the Spanish language Tuduene, 52,000 people. So collectively combined, um, what, 637,000 approximately. So um, a decent number, nothing nothing through the roof, nothing appalling, but um, it is what it is. The other numbers, though, Kartik, I mean, from the ESPN, so up until a couple of days ago, the number that was thrown out there is that ESPN is currently averaging 337,000 viewers across ESPN and ESPN Deportes. My concern is that there's still very little um, sports on American television. Uh, yes, you've got NWSL, which was the first uh, sports league back, but the vast majority of those games, like what, 98% of those games are on OTT behind a paywall. So on television, though, um, we've got soccer. We've got soccer on prime time on ESPN um, most evenings. Uh, yes, there's the early game too to see what those numbers were like. But um, I'm disappointed. It, it, and it, it's hard to tell, Kartik, whether this is just American sports fans, just like ugh, soccer. Like who would want to watch yeah, that? Yeah, no, I've gotten some of that. I've seen some of that. And, um, and, and, and that there's been ahead. some dismissive comments from American sports fans about uh, soccer. You know, it's MLS, but uh, soccer. Why is ESPN showing this stuff all day? They'd be better off showing uh, all every night. They'd be better off showing replays of some college football game. I, I've seen a few tweets like that. And actually, I'm in a, in, a, in, a, in a chat group where someone made that comment yesterday saying, oh, this is uh, or not yesterday. The last time ESPN had uh, a, a primetime games, whichever day that was, and because and, last night was two. DNA, uh, like, oh, this is ridiculous. Why are they showing all this soccer? Um, 
it's so it's so disturbing. You know, I, I tweeted earlier in the week, and and um, Taylor Twelman retweeted, and it went all over the place. My my anger at cable news channels, uh, CNN, MSNBC, Fox, who act like the NBA is the first league back, and that they're, this thing they're doing in the bubble is is some something revolutionary. The, as if NWSL hadn't done it first a month earlier, and MLS isn't doing it currently in the same place the NBA is. Um, I, I don't know what it takes sometimes for us to get respect for this sport. I, I'm I'm very frustrated by that. So uh, yeah. thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, me too. Me too. Because I, I I posted something on Twitter too that got a lot of free tweets, and and I was saying that I'm pissed off at the a number of people I I hear or speak with that say I can't wait for sports to be back, and I'm like, sports have been back since middle of May. You've had the <laughs> right. the Bundesliga. And now you have Major League Soccer, and, and you've had the Premier League, you've got La Liga, you've got Serie A, and a lot of these games are being featured on, on your flagship uh, sports network. So Twelman, yeah, Twelman says, okay, yeah, he retweets and says, okay, MSNBC, CNN, and I agree with you, Kartik, is that the mainstream uh, news media uh, needs to, mo- to be more conscious, uh, conscious of soccer and sports being back on, but they're... Either completely, you mean, just don't know what's going on in life, or they're intentionally they, ignoring soccer. They may be intentionally doing it because I'm telling you, in the case of CNN, they've had Commissioner Garber on to talk about MLS is back, and then the next hour, whoever the anchor is, will be like, "Oh, the NBA will be the, the first one." Or they don't say that directly, but they pretend like nothing's happening with soccer. So it, it, it's you can you can I, I, there is an editorial bias at. Uh, in major newsrooms around this country against our sport still yeah it may not be as bad as it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago but it's still there Uh, that's that's, that i've picked up on the last few weeks yeah it's a huge obstacle having said that though Kartik, these numbers are not impressive the other numbers so so i'm looking at fs1 numbers are about the same as what they are usually during a normal season they're in the hundreds of thousands i mean so in in hundreds plus thousand i mean you had um Cincinnati against Columbus. Yeah, it was a late game. Oh, that one was really late. That was 104,000 people watched that one. You had uh, LAFC, I mean, kind of one of the dream teams in MLS against Houston on Monday in primetime, 8 p.m. Eastern uh, start time. 164,000 people watched that one. And uh, LA Galaxy against Portland, uh, two big teams, uh, 202,000 viewers on FS1 for, for a late game on Monday. So those numbers aren't, I mean, to me, what, what it's telling me is that um, MLS is really, that, that, that's the peak. I mean, you're not, uh, MLS's hope going into this tournament, and the reason that MLS pushed so hard to make this tournament happen is because, one, financial reasons. They need to have, um, to be able to fulfill the contractual obligations with advertisers, sponsors, um, all these, the TV companies, they have to have a product to be able to show, to be able to bring that money in. But, but but second of all is – Local that, sponsors also, which I, I want to point out they've done a great job highlighting local sponsors. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. You know, the, 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 phenomenal. The, the sponsorship and advertising side of things, the way that they've really it, – it's been a home run as far as the way that they've been able to get that front and center. They've done a really good job, and I'm sure the sponsors and advertisers are happy with that. But the second main reason to do this and push so hard was that this was the opportunity for Major League Soccer for the first time ever 
to have games on when there's no other sports happening. There's no other uh, traditional American sports. And I think that the thinking going into this tournament is that, hey, there's, there's, no, there's no baseball on, there's no NBA on, there's no college football or American football. Here is our chance. Here is our opportunity to go ahead and have games on, you mean, over the, over the air television, but also on ESPN, on the flagship channel, and have soccer on almost throughout the day between MLS and Serie A in the afternoon and another MLS game at, at night. And these numbers tell me that um, America's not interested. Yeah, the Serie A numbers have been disappointing too, uh, to be honest with you. I mean, I thought those games being on flagship ESPN, the, the volume of Serie A matches they're showing would make a, a massive difference uh, in, in the profile of that league, and, and it just hasn't happened. And with MLS, uh, I, I've heard, uh, I mean, I went from saying, oh gosh, you know, maybe maybe uh, it, it's, uh, it's just not, uh, MLS isn't doing a good job to realizing, oh, it's not because of MLS, it's just there's a still this inherent bias uh, against soccer in this country, which uh, I thought we were past. Now, maybe I was being naive and well, overly me, optimistic. Me too. Me too. We're not past it, and maybe we'll never get past it. Well, well the other strange thing about this, Kartik, is that uh, the Spanish-language audience. So the Spanish-language audience, uh, historically speaking, in the last two seasons especially, have been really pumping up the, the MLS numbers. So when we're looking at average uh, viewership for MLS, um, oftentimes it's Univision coming in with some m big numbers that have helped increase the overall viewing figures or slightly. Without the Spanish language audience, those numbers on ESPN and, and FS1 um, would have dropped or been plateaued, would have been not that positive. But for this tournament... For whatever reason, the Spanish language audience is not tuning in. I mean, to do NA, some of the viewership for the, their, their games, I don't think they've had any games that have been over 100,000 viewers. So even for Atlanta against New York Red Bulls, uh, which was that primetime Saturday game, 52,000 people watched that one. Um, I don't know, just um, the, let me see what else. There was the philadelphia against miami game I mean, a must win game there for miami and with it being miami you would think spanish language audience would be watching this one intently really interested in, in seeing what uh miami's c can do with a you know uruguayan coach and a lot of latin american players and a, in, in a uh, a market that loves and breathes and is really in, in love with soccer and um 110,000 viewers actually on, on that one for uh, to do na which is not bad but it's strange, Kartik, that the Spanish language audience is not interested in this tournament at all. Now, Kartik, this, before we move on to the next segment, I do want to ask one question, and, and that is that uh, the other reason, the third reason really for Major League Soccer pushing so hard on this one is because of the next TV contract. Major League Soccer must be looking at this thinking, OK, here's a chance to go ahead and shine with a national TV audience and really kind of build up a... Um, kind of a bidding war, having hoping that the CBSs and the Turner, the TNTs of the world and the DAZNs and the Apple TV and Amazon can look at these great numbers um, and, and see that there's an opportunity to go ahead and have a bidding war for the next round of MLS TV rights that are coming up, uh, which the bidding will start next year and it'll end uh, in 2022. Based on these numbers, Kartik, I mean, what are broadcasters thinking? Um, that was the huge risk with this. And I'll admit, you know, I've had a lot of uh, private conversations, uh, background conversations on this specific point that MLS 
was probably hoping to hit a home run with the ratings, and this would be something they could then go to broadcasters who don't currently broadcast MLS and say, hey, you know, you can pony up. Why don't you bid on this? Now, I don't think it's damaged them in terms of getting a similar contract uh, to what they have now. And then, of course, we have 2026 World Cup at the, at the end of that potential uh, right cycle or in the middle of that right cycle. However, in terms of uh, the ambition involved with uh, staging this tournament and maybe uh, potentially getting 750,000 or 800,000 viewers a night on, on, on the flagship ESPN Obviously, there's still the possibility that in the knockout stage they could get those numbers. But let's be honest, the NBA is starting. Champions League is starting on CBS. Um, maybe the window is closed. We don't know. But that was, yeah, your point is very well taken. That those that point mirrors my private conversations I've had with a number of people in the last few weeks about this. At the same time, Kartik, you look at some of the other numbers for some of the other leagues and uh – you would think that the, the the actual viewing figures would be a barometer of quality, but there have been a bunch of games where there's been some really dead rubbers or some really kind of really boring games. I mean, there's no other word for it uh, in the Premier League, and some of those viewing numbers for those games have been quite high. Um, I mean, the Spurs-Arsenal game was a good game. That was one that finally Spurs kind of showed up, really, but... Uh, that one had um, more viewers for that game on NBCSN on a, a Sunday morning than a game in prime time on Fox over the air for Atlanta's game. So, what's your take? Yeah. Like, what, what? I, 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 the Serie A numbers are the ones I'd like to focus on. on this okay, because, sure. Again, people think I'm, you know, anti Premier League or whatever. No, I probably watch still more Premier League than any other league other than the Bundesliga. Although now this last week I've watched more MLS than anything, but. Um, uh, the quality between the quality gap between an average. Now there are some games that Spurs Arsenal game was fantastic, right? The North London Derby. Yep. Um, and the first match between them, which was played the weekend um, of Hurricane Dorian here, I remember vividly. So they've had two good North London derbies this season, but um, the average Serie A match, the quality is higher than the Premier League since the restart. I have no hesitation in saying that the average match that ESPN shows uh, on their flagship channel is better football from a quality standpoint than the average match shown on NBCSN since uh, the restart in mid-June. Yet, you know, they're going head-to-head, and NBCSN is getting five times as many viewers. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, think it's, I think it's more marketing and, 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 and comfort than uh, actual quality of football. I think uh, the American audience has made their choice, and there's something about the Premier League that's uh, – that's so appealing that it doesn't apply to other football leagues. And, and the same thing can be said for La Liga, right? They, you know, La Liga, the yeah. quality is higher than Serie A. And it's much higher than the Premier League, in my opinion. I and mean, it's not even comparable. They're not even comparable products yeah. if you're talking about just quality of football. Uh, but La Liga is never going to have that kind of uh, footprint in this country. Yeah, and I think I ranked this a couple of weeks ago, but I'll rank it again. But the quality, for, for me personally, when I'm watching soccer, the quality level, my, I mean, number one would be La Liga, number two is Bundesliga, number three is Serie A, and, and maybe number four is the Premier League. But then if you look at the viewing numbers... The view numbers are almost opposite. It's it's Premier League number one, but by a, a huge margin on the English language side, and then you're looking at maybe the Bundesliga number two, maybe Serie A number three. It's, see, you're 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 kidding on a great point because I had thought that 
Serie A being alone and being the only league being played would kind of change the American audience's viewing preferences because they would see Serie A, they'd see the quality, they'd see the quality, in my opinion, right now. Now, it wasn't it, it ebbs and flows, right? These things go in cycles. But right now, this season, the quality of, Serie, of Bundesliga, in my opinion, is higher than the Premier League. Uh, I would you go with the same exact list, same exact order as you. Premier League is fourth. And uh, they would watch Bundesliga for a couple of weeks and be like, okay, this is good football. You know, we're going to be more varied in, in, in what we watch. We're going to we're going to uh, have more variety in what football we watch. But no, once the Premier League was on, they just reverted to that um, and did not uh, give the other leagues really much of a shot, which is for me kind of frustrating. But, you know, everybody has personal preferences. Yeah, it's personal preferences. And I think that's the thing, though, Kartik. It is personal preferences because it is that connection between a club and, and a viewer is with the. Pre- if you ask most soccer fans in the United States that you run into at random, what's your favorite team? At least for me, when I ask the question, most of the times the answer is, you mean, it's Arsenal or Man United or Liverpool or. Uh, now and again, you might get, say, uh, I don't know, uh, Club America, or you might get, you might get some. It's rarely, you mean, a Serie A team. And I, I've been watching soccer for what, probably forty-five years at least, um, and, and I've watched, you mean, plenty of Italian football, German football, Spanish football. But I, I don't have a favorite club in in Spain. I don't, I don't have a favorite club in Germany or or Italy or France. I have my team that I've supported since I was a kid. Um, that is now in the championship, but has hopes and aspirations of getting into the Premier League. But I watch those leagues more, kind of, because it's focused on my team. And I guess that that that's the part that I think is the the disconnect for a lot, a lot of these leagues. MLS is in, in that same mix. Is that you need to create a personal bond between the actual fan and and a club, and and that could happen many different ways. That could happen over the FIFA video game that could happen over social media that could happen over uh, friendlies or exhibitions or even ICC. I mean, the ICC gets slated so many times, but ultimately that's what the the clubs that participate in ICC are, are going after. They're going after, yeah, it's a financial uh, boost definitely for them, but they're trying to make con- direct connections one-on-one with fans, whether it's at autograph signings or whether it's at, uh, you mean, kind of o- open friendlies or you know, open training uh, practices, etc. Um, that I think to me that's uh, that's why the TV numbers, when we look at them and evaluate them, that's why they seem to be skewed in many ways because it's it's not um, it's not a d- direct correlation between quality and viewership. It's between a personal bond and a connection and that club. And or that league, and 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 also the broadcaster. The broadcaster is a main component of that. All right, Kartik, let's move on to listener mailbag. First up is FTC United. Man, trying to keep up with soccer is, is exhausting and entirely getting more expensive. Any daylight at the end of the tunnel on this, and uh, it is, it is. I mean, since we started this podcast what, a few years ago, at least this version of this podcast, it's been a full time job. Uh, it's working 70 to 80 hours a week, trying to stay on top of it. Everything from late schedule changes to Peacock launching to, I mean, Peacock, I got so many questions yesterday about from, from listeners and viewers and readers, which which I appreciate and, and, and I'm more than eager to help answer. But so many changes, so many differences, so many issues trying to get it broadcast on your smart TV or your Chromecast or your Apple TV or your phone, whatever it may be. Um 
there is no daylight at the end of this tunnel. This this is the new normal. This is, uh, if anything, this is uh, this is what we're we're going through a change right now, and I think it's always going to change constantly with new products, new services, new prices, new uh, new offerings. Um, this is the new normal. So unless we go back to a Fox Soccer channel and has a channel that has the best of soccer on one channel. I don't. I, I know Nick Webster mentioned that as a possibility, perhaps in the future. I don't see us going back to that. Although I would like it. I would like to be able to just switch on a channel, Kartik, sit back and say, you know what? Let me have them do the work for me. I'm gonna. I'm gonna see the best of uh, MLS, and then uh, you mean the Premier League, Serie A, Bundesliga, La Liga, and maybe a night game from say Liga MX, and just sit back and, and let them let, let them play it, and, and just sit back with a beer and or a glass of soda or water or whatever you may drink and, and just enjoy it next up is john average geek john average geek says watching dc united against toronto in the mls is back and other than the big uh, the near sideline sky view i like it hearing the players say uh time and space man on uh, is like uh playing on a saturday or sunday growing up uh, Nick uh, Silberto says, uh, thanks for doing the podcast. I enjoy listening every week. You've touched on this a bit, but I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about uh, what you think of the long-term I- impact of soccer being the only live sports on US tele- television for almost two months will have on its popularity in this country. Soccer having no competition from any of the major US sports is unprecedented. I'm wondering how optimistic you are about this creating a long-term increase and it's popularity here. Kartik, <laughs> we just talked about this a few minutes ago, but um, is, is there any positives that, that we can look at from, from this, from this experience this summer? Um, well, we just talked about it. I, I wish it would be different. I was really optimistic that people would give MLS a chance in primetime, Serie A a chance uh, during the day. Uh, hasn't happened. I, I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed. I mean, I guess, you know, you've heard it in the last segment. I'm pretty angry about it um, and angry about the, uh, I, I think, the, the, the double standard some fans apply and people in the media apply. Uh, so, no, I don't think it's going to have the lasting uh, impact uh, we had hoped. Uh, maybe a slight uptick, but I, I don't think it's it's quite what I had uh, envisioned in terms of uh, realigning some fans. Now, this having been said, I will once again Talk, talk, I said there are people who are ed- directors of editorials and people in newsrooms. Those people are, tend to be older. So as we have a transition of more younger blood into, into newsrooms, into the media, uh, into kind of sports viewing influencer circles, uh, it will change. It just uh, I, had a, I had a huge optimism that this summer would change it, and it hasn't. I'm more convinced than ever, Kartik, that the only way for soccer to become more popular in this country is for the U.S. to win the World Cup. And for that to happen at this stage, based on where we're at, uh, playing level and coaching level, is a huge mountain to climb. I mean, it's not, it's not a uh, impossibility. I mean, there's the 2026 World Cup uh, that gives you a, a slight home advantage. But um, I think that's the only thing that would actually change, that, that would change the... The, the dynamic that we're seeing with media, at least in the short term, e- even long term, I'm not that uh, optimistic, even as older journalists retire and all, older kind of media professionals retire. It's a different media landscape anyway. And it's still even among the ESPN.com, you, you go to that site, it's it's all NFL and the NFL is not even happening. <laughs> There's not much to talk about. 
Uh, although if you switch on the ESPN, uh, you mean whether it's the ESPN, which is, like I did yesterday, ESPN or FS1, I just switched them on just to see what was happening, see what they were talking about. And both of them were talking about NFL stories. And then I'm like, the league's not even happening. Even when it's not happening, it's bigger than anything. So I, I'm pessimistic uh, on this one. But in a, in a way, the Kotick, at the end of the day, to me personally, I just care about... I'm not on a crusade to make soccer the most popular sport in this country, and it's unlikely to happen in my lifetime, which means that the US is probably not going to win a World Cup in my lifetime. But I'm happy with being able to accept, be able to access practically any live game from around the world um, on my laptop, on my phone, on my, on my TV, and be able to watch more soccer from around the world with probably uh, a much greater... Um, commentary and analysis and and for my viewing experience as a soccer fan even if it's not the most popular sport in this country by any means i'm happy all right next up is rover rover says uh, nick webster was on point with the crack dealer analogy with regards to how nbc uses the premier league got everyone addicted with that extra time package then downhill from there Carl says, are you surprised that there hasn't been much of a Pulisic bump for Chelsea's viewership? It doesn't seem NBC is doing much to promote that they have a a born and raised American objectively doing well, possibly the best story in US sports right now. And it seems they're trying to make sure they're not overdoing hyping him which is ironic considering the network's Olympic coverage. Well, this is where the mainstream media comes in again and their uh, their distaste for soccer or whatever it is, their disdain for the sport or their ignorance of the sport. They're the ones who would have to do that. I mean, NBC is over the top with their Olympic coverage, right? It's USA, USA all the time. Uh, I think they rode the Pulisic train uh, earlier in the season. They're talking about him consistently now as he's playing well. Um, but... Um, no, there's no no one writing about it in in, in, in newsrooms. There's no one talking about it on uh, mainstream American uh, uh, channels or uh, American talk shows, uh, you know, the, the shout shows on ESPN and Fox. So uh, blame them. Don't blame NBC. But, yeah, I, I'm disappointed by it, too. I thought there would be a bump for Chelsea because of uh, Pulisic, and, and, and it hasn't happened. There's a bump on social media, but then social media is not a really good uh, barometer of of reality in many ways. I mean, you you can have see even with the the last British election, you would look at social media and think that uh, Corbyn was going to win it by a landslide. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? That, that there's so many. And you think Bernie Sanders was winning every Democratic primary with seventy percent of the vote? Right, right, yeah. Uh, last but not least, Ted Hill says maybe you've already discussed this uh, on the show, and Kartik, this is right up your alley. But I'd be curious for your reaction to some of the re- reaction to the cast ruling overturning Man City's ban for FFP. I usually don't get too aggrieved by managers comments but i have to admit i was very put off by a lot of the responses and back and and back and forth in the media specifically i found pep guardiola to be super whiny uh, demanding apologies and playing a, a woe is us card even claiming that the club didn't have money to for alexis sanchez or harry Maguire. worst of all was of course jose Mourinho, who claimed the decision was a disgrace and a disaster he also asserted that city are guilty and if they received a fine uh, that they should be banned because they are guilty but if he has read either the ruling or any article about the ruling, he would realize that the fine was simply for not cooperating with the investigation and not the actual FFP regulations. Just wish all of the managers would get on with it. 
in Cardigan. I know FFP's been up your alley uh, for many years. You were on Sirius XM FC this week to talk about it uh, with Yanish Mahalik. But uh, what, what is, what's your thoughts on, on what Ted's uh, mentioning here? Yeah, I think um, there's a lot of hypocrisy going on uh, from from people like Mourinho, who Mourinho has always spent wildly wherever he's been, right? And uh, he was he he was uh, of course uh, his Chelsea teams were probably the the excuse uh, for FFP, his first set of Chelsea teams, why uh, the uh, established players in Euro- European football pushed FFP. This having been said, I will once again re- reiterate my point that financial fair play is the most anti-competitive construct I've ever seen in club football and i am shocked that the european european union's competition commission allowed it to go on this for this long it is an effort however it's been sold was sold by platini and others it was an effort to make sure the same clubs kept winning european competitions the same clubs kept winning domestic leagues it was a construct to protect them from the potential of an investor coming from outside buying a newcastle united or obviously in, in practice it's been manchester city but uh buying a newcastle united a a a, 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 a lecce maybe even you know in italy or a a, a a valencia and spending big and overturning kind of the established order so it, it was uh not fair play it was okay the bigger clubs are going to remain the bigger clubs forever um people cheering this ruling besides manchester city fans are the boardrooms at everton sheffield united and some other clubs in england those who were opposed to it were as ted mentions jose Mourinho, uh and then obviously manchester united uh liverpool and arsenal and spurs all uh lobbied the premier league hard i've been lobbying the premier league hard from what i understand on sanctioning manchester city the clubs defending manchester city have been, not surprisingly, Everton, this is based on my reporting and what I've heard, Everton, Sheffield United, and West Ham United, all of whom may have similar ambitions uh, to to Man City. And in the case of uh, in the case of Everton and um, and Sheffield United, they have owners from the same region who are uh, from countries that are politically aligned with the United Arab Emirates. So that that's also kind of maybe a a significant piece of it. But Everton in particular will benefit from this because they have just started to ramp up their spending. They just got Ancelotti. If you've watched them the last few weeks, you know they need about 10 new players. <laughs> and uh, now I think they're they're free to spend on that. Yeah, what, what a joke, though, this whole FFP thing has been, Kartik. Yep. Uh, so much uh, time, energy, resources put into this. And effectively, it looks like it's going to get ripped up. And, um, you know what I mean? It's clubs gonna, are going to go wild, which, um, which makes things more interesting, which... Uh, definitely gives opportunities for you mean the Newcastle Uniteds of the world and, and other clubs um, or, or you know, even smaller clubs to, to, to punch above their weight yeah. but um yeah, and, and yeah, because I mean, there was still like, as you know, from following the championship, Leicester, QPR, uh, Derby, they've all had, I think Derby may have even had a points deduction one year for FFP violations. They've all run afoul of FFP at some point also. Uh, and those are ambitious clubs, right? Yeah. It's the clubs that are ambitious and can attract investors that uh, would have uh, the issue. Now, for, for uh, Leicester and Wolves, this was conflicting because they were hoping Manchester City would get banned so that they could get into the top four this year. Uh, but uh, Sheffield United did not take that attitude. They said, look, you know, this this uh, obviously their owner is a Saudi, but uh, which is natural alignment with Sheikh Mansour. But they um, they felt like this was important for them to be able to kind of continue to uh, to, to be ambitious. And, and uh, heck, they might be in Europe this year anyway. 
So we want you to have your say. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, of course, uh, you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com, the website that started this whole thing. And, uh, and Kartik, um this episode has flown by. This has probably been our longest episode ever. Um, we've had so much to get to and uh, with no commercials and... Uh, and this is really kind of what we focus on is the, the television coverage of the sport. And there's so many different interesting uh, dynamics to it as far as the viewership numbers or just the all the changes or the experience of watching um, these games and uh, whether it's streaming or online or um, uh, on television that are constantly changing. So listeners, if you do have any questions, feedback or thoughts uh, for us, feel free to contact us through those uh, communication methods. And Kartik... Man, all right, heading into another weekend. This weekend is going to be absolutely nuts and crazy. You've got uh, NWSL, um, with the semifinals. You've got um, you've got La Liga wrapping up. You've got uh, an opportunity for Real Madrid to, to clinch this one. You've got, uh, in the Premier League, you've got the relegation battle shaping up uh, with teams trying to escape that relegation zone. In the Championship, you've got games uh, that have uh, implications on promotion, playoffs, and relegation. Oh, my gosh. And then, plus, you've got the FA Cup semifinals this weekend, too. You've got uh, both of those are going to be live on uh, ESPN+, Plus, Arsenal, Man City, Chelsea, Man United... And I'm sure I'm forgetting a whole bunch of other stuff that's happening, Kartik. But uh, what are you going to be doing this weekend and uh, what should the listeners do? Enjoying my football probably 24-7. <laughs> and maybe finding some time to watch Greyhound uh, on Apple yes. Plus TV, nice. which looks amazing. I, I'm just so I was just so disappointed that that's not on Netflix or Amazon Prime. It's uh, Even I think Tom Hanks said something negative about it being on Apple Plus uh, TV. But but maybe Ted Lasso can, can rescue Apple uh, Plus TV. 